are live. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and do our best to apply God's word to God's world. I'm Solomon, this is Julian, and today uh, we're going to talk about Sola Deo Gloria. But first, Julian, what the heck is going on in the world today? Uh, there's barely a world anymore. Everything's falling <laughs> apart. <laughs> Everything's in ruins. The economy is crap. The Middle East doesn't exist anymore. Everything, everything's downhill. Yeah, dude. Man, I've been watching today. Today is the day all the deaths started happening yeah. in Afghanistan. Yeah. We're trying to get into Kabul airport. There's uh, two bomb, two explosions. We know, I guess, one of them was a car bomb. Mm. And it went off, a suicide bomber. And so far, last I looked earlier, this, earlier during the day, uh, 12 Marines killed and like... 15 Afghanis or something killed and like 50 or 60 wounded or something like that. It might be more. I might be getting those numbers wrong, but at least 12 Americans are dead right now. And I was thinking, you know, you see that footage. It's like all, all the bodies laying out there and stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like, it, it, is there another more direct leading from a president to dead bodies? <laughs> like directly? Yeah, like, like a direct, like I'm thinking like Hillary and Benghazi. You know what I mean? Like, your actions cause dead Americans. Like oh, right now. Yeah. Like the link is so clear and it's so direct. I mean, not this direct. You know what I mean, yeah. Like it's not it's like, like a couple sent, days. Like you sent people to war. Okay, people die in war, but it's like you chose to do this this way, and now because of that, right? Twelve Americans are dead. You know what I mean? Like so direct. Because everybody's playing Trump for like. Well, did you see the the COVID? He he like called COVID a hoax, or he like telling you to drink bleach and stuff. It's like, oh, he's got he's got blood on his hands, <laughs> and it's like, okay, but I mean, did he like decide something that put people in front of Taliban and ISIS murderers? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it caused a, such a panic and stuff. Like the the link is so direct from this president's actions to dead Americans. You know right. I mean? It's so it's really weird. <laughs> well, they asked him too about the uh, the first videos that we saw of the dudes falling off the planes trying to get out before the Taliban got in. Yeah, and they asked him about it in an interview, and and he was like, "Ah, that was like five days ago." <laughs> like, let's move move on. Why are you bringing up old stuff? Yeah, I know that was that was a really like dick move. Was to say like, imagine if Trump said that's what I'm saying. Like, I know. I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to put I'm trying to put everything you know. Uh, in context on the other foot right yeah like okay the switch sides switch sides of republican democrat right i mean there would be outcry in the streets mm. there would be riots and everything like it'd be so insane there'd already be a hashtag there'd already be a movement oh yeah there'd be a movement there'd be a hashtag there'd be a, a whole, new flag like, for some impeachment and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, gotta, they get a new they flag. Put another stripe on the equality flag <laughs> for Afghans or something. Oh man, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a full-on disaster. It's crazy. I mean, it's a debacle. Like it's like even the Economist, the, the like pretty liberal magazine, like Biden's debacle showed like the yeah. planes and stuff. Like, whoa, like it's when is and that's another thing too. What have you seen like the mainstream media go after a Democrat? Yeah, like this, like really. Like never, like not. I mean, they kind of they. <laughs> I I think they have to at this point. I, I don't think they foresaw something this bad happening when they got him in office. Yeah. So now they're like, "Well, I, I didn't come with him." 
Yeah, and he, he seems to keep deflecting, like, well, we had to get Af- Afghanistan. It's like, that's not what people right. are angry about. People agree with that. Right, everybody's what, fine with getting out. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's how. It's it's the sudden, you know, pullback and stuff, which is weird because then it's like, okay, well, they, they you know, you think about the Afghan army, and it's like, okay, you got this? And they're like, yeah, sure, I guess. And then you leave, and then they don't got this. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Well, who could have seen that coming? Apparently, like a lot of people in the military, are just like Afghan army is a joke. Like it's not yeah, going to happen. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, why would they, why would they think? Oh man, it's weird, man. I heard um, Crenshaw had somebody on that, some one of his like Navy SEAL buddies from back in the day and stuff, and they were talking about it and stuff. And uh, he, he brought up an interesting point about like East versus West and how like Americans we have like this fight for your freedom and country kind of like right spirit sort of just baked into us or something yes. i don't even know like what where it comes from or like it's the movies where but he's talking about like the afghanis like they just don't have that like mm-hmm. for their for their country or for their people and stuff like there's just not it's a different culture and it's a, and it becomes from different worldviews especially right. religious worldviews yes of of what these things mean of like freedom right. and courage and integrity and nation and people and i don't know like i'm not say like they're, they're not like proud to be afghan af afghanis or whatever or proud of afghanistan or like you know wouldn't fight for their country but i mean they obviously didn't you know <laughs> so it's like okay, man that's so weird because i think about like 375,000 americans american enlisted like grunt soldiers versus al-qaeda or something versus like 75,000 of Al-Qaeda or something or ISIS like they they hold their own you know yeah, what I mean no no doubt like, there's just something in that kind of like we used to just give farmers guns and that was our army like that was you know <laughs> I mean we just have this like fighting spirit I guess I don't know in the west you know a lot of yes like a, maybe even England or something has that like for the queen and country you know and stuff right, like right. just kind of I don't know there's a difference the difference in that, I guess, but that they just that that this current modern Afghanistan culture doesn't have, you know, what I mean, at least Afghanistan. I don't know. But. Well, we were talking. I was talking about that with my wife, and we were talking about the you know going back twenty years when we showed up, and we were trying to make America in the Middle East, and it just it doesn't work. Like you can't build a country that's going to model America over there. When America was built on Western, Christian, Protestant, Calvinist, post-millennial ideals, yeah. and then transfer that to an Islamic state and be like, okay, now do what we did. It, you can't. Yeah. This doesn't work. It's different religious, different cold worldview cultures. It's a completely different mindset and just completely like different. It's a different mold of, of that. Yeah, man. Because you think about it too, like, well, why don't like, you know, North Koreans rebel or why don't the Chinese, right. you know what I mean? It's like, it's just different. They, their information, they, they've, they've not have had freedom of information for generations. You know what I mean? It's not just like a brand new thing. Right. Like some people kind of know what happened at Tiananmen Square. Like nobody does. Right, right, right. Or nobody like the, does. Pe- the people in North Korea don't even know they're oppressed. They don't even know. They, they think he invented exists. pizza. That's where <laughs> the level they're at. <laughs> Yeah, they think he got like fifty holes in ones, right? Or like, yeah, right. He has a right. He's the greatest Kim, golfer. Kim Jong. Everything that <laughs> everything that Trump says about himself, they believe about Kim Jong, whichever yeah. one he is, un or ill. Yeah, I heard that that Yon Mi Park chick from North Korea talking, and she was saying like, if you know you're oppressed, you're not oppressed. 
because the people in North Korea didn't even know they were oppressed. They didn't even know there was another way of life. They just thought starving was just what people did. Like you just scrounge for food all day, every day. They had no clue that any other lifestyle or way of life existed. So wow. <laughs> on, in, on purpose. Uh, one question that nobody asked her that so far I've heard is why even have people, you know, because she was saying like that was, that was the strategy of to keep them hungry, keep them to keep them weak. So they don't rebel. Right. So they can't think they can't, all they got, all they think about they is trying to eat, you know, so like keep them hungry, like intentionally keep them hungry because they get subsidized by China and they could be feeding a lot more people and stuff, mm. but they just don't because they don't want a strong people. But then right. it's like, why, why have people at all? You know what I mean? Like, Cause maybe, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to be in charge of nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't, so. it doesn't mean anything to make lies up that nobody is going to believe about you. Yeah. But if we don't know the, if they like killed like a third of their people, you know, yeah, we don't know. You know that they, they still think, okay, they, they he runs North Korea. Or yeah, I, I don't. It's hard to get in the mindset. I've thought about this with with uh, the story of the fall. I always thought it was, like a weird detail about that was that <clears throat> when it talks about why she ate the fruit, one of the things that she uh, she she liked was that it it, it uh, made somebody wise. Uh, and I always thought that was weird. Like, who did she want to appear wise to? There's only like two of them. Like, who is she trying to impress? And it's like, somebody else, anybody else being there is enough to make you do the thing to be wicked, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, just for your own for your own benefit, I guess. And that was weird. Yeah. Someone brought, brought that up in the fall, too, about, like, uh, well, she didn't know what good and evil was. So how could he blame her, you know, kind of thing. It's like, well, mm -hmm. there, was, there was no law. There was no, she had no concept of, of good and evil. Right, right, and wrong. It's like, well, she didn't. She didn't know it was not forbidden. She says, you know, you right. Know, God is told not to eat of this tree. So she knew she was doing something that God told her not to do. Right. right? She had one law they, essentially. Yeah, and they and they were and they were told to do things like be fruitful, multiply, right. and to be stewards of the. So it was like, okay, there was a there was a like responsibility <laughs> of like you're told to do something, and now you're held responsible to do it. If you don't do it, you're sinning. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Even though there's no sin or evil in the world yet, but yeah, it's, weird. it's kind of weird things. Um, but yeah, that, the the Middle yeah. East situation is just so. I haven't seen anything this bad in a while, and I know it's like it's always bad over there with regime regime changes, and this guy dies, and this group comes in, and these rebels move in, but to this extent where it's just like overnight the Taliban is just in. They're like, oh, okay, we're back now. And now they have access to all the stuff that we left behind. So that's yeah. not good. I heard somebody say it like they like the their mindset basically was uh that the Afghani the Taliban, everybody to the American soldiers over there, uh, was you've got the watches, but we have the time. Mm. And so they'll just like wait Man. you out. Yeah. <laughs> and you think true. of like a centuries old uh, civilization of like, you know, this they've just kind of been this way for centuries. Like, and so right. we're going to come in and change things. You're you're a blip on like the history of Afghanistan, right? You know what I mean, which is really weird to think about. Of like, you know, American soldiers, you're brand new. Ameri you know, if, they call it Afghanistan the graveyard of empires. <laughs> it's like, gosh, it's like no one's been able to like solve that land. There's yeah, really cool. That was There's crazy when I was hearing someone describe that. Yeah. It's a mountainous and stuff, and then it like snows, and then it's like, what the heck? Where are we? Like, this is a weird, you know, <laughs> weird country. 
a whole different planet, it seems like. But I don't know, man. Just, you know, just nuke the whole place. Just <laughs> start over. Big glass parking lot. Man. <laughs> I don't know. There's no there's no answers. There's no solutions. There's only trade offs, right? Really, it's just yeah. like you're not gonna solve something. You just have to and maybe this was always going to be the case. That's kind of been Biden's line this whole time of like, it was always going to be messy. It was always going to be bad. It's like, okay, maybe, but like this bad, this soon, right. this fast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because then they, that's why it's like the only thing that like admission of mistake is we did think it was going to take a little longer. <laughs> 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 you know, and it's like, okay, well. It didn't, and now there's Americans there still, and it's like we could at least get all the white people out, and then just let all the brown people kill each other. You know, I guess that was the plan. That's the plan. That was Biden's plan. Right. That's the now, best case scenario for the administration. But now some white people are still there. It's like, oh no, we got to get those white people out because well, got brown no people are killing know. each other. It's... Yeah. You know, they're bombing each other. So now we got to get all the white people out, and it just, it just, it just shows, man. Like all the whole like wokeness and insane like critical race theory and stuff. It's like, Hey, that's a lot of dead people of color there, Joe, you know, and we don't care about them. And that's, Hey, sorry. You know, it's just, Oh, it's all lies. No one, no one really cares. Speaking of which, Sour I, read, I read this. How speaking of things nobody cares about. Yeah. Speaking of total <laughs> bull crap. Uh, I read how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Man, that is some wild stuff. Was uh, this was it more or less useful than white fragility? So with so what with white fragility and this book, I found myself agreeing with quite a bit, but about about the problems. Okay, right? just like white fragility, and she's like racism is a problem. It's like yes, I agree, and and she even gets to the point of like it being an inherent thing in us and it's like sin yes all right i agree like right and there's like not that much we can do about it. but but it's like all sin it's like all the reality of sin with no grace or forgiveness yes it's literally just you have to apologize for the rest of your life right and just like decenter for being white this immutable characteristic that you can't control like sin you know being born with sin nature you have to just apologize. It's like a Catholic way of like, right, right, right. You know, approaching your whiteness. Or You're something. always a little dirty. Just beat, you know, just <laughs> penitence and just, uh, you know, I'm sorry. You're just constantly, you know, paying penance or whatever for just being white. And so no grace, no forgiveness, no redemption, no regeneration, no anything like that. But um, so with this, it's it, it, what he defines as racist is anything that has a racist outcome, an unequal outcome, right? Is So it's all about policies. And so there are no racist people, he says. There are racist policies, and which is just so weird. I mean, it immediately goes to politics and government right. action. I mean, right? immediately the first question is like, well, who made those policies? <laughs> and he never <laughs> – like, yeah, he like breezes over that. Right. It's like, so racist people make racist policies. Right. Right. And it's always, but he never addresses that. It's like, there's, there's only racist ideas. So those people aren't racist. They have racist ideas. Okay. So it, it and it's, so it's all like in the ether, you know, which is really weird because then, you know, you can't, 
it, it does that because it 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 removes uh, personal responsibility of like, well, right, I'm right, not right. racist, right. right? Yes, it's like, you well, know, you have actually, racist ideas and policies, and it's like this. Okay. It, it's like the reverse of an RC RC Sproul idea. Uh, RC Sproul would say that you're not you don't sin you you're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you're a sinner, right? And he wants that space. Like you're not racist. You just have racist ideas. You can stop being racist as opposed to like, no, you do the bad thing because you're a bad person. Yeah. So there's nobody who is not a racist. There's like this, like no neutrality. You're either racist or anti-racist. So that's why it's called how right. to be an anti-racist. And that's why not why it's, why it's not called how to not be racist because that's not a thing apparently. So <laughs> you can't, you can't, no one's not racist. You're either anti-racist or racist, but, but like you aren't, you're either promoting racist ideas and policies or anti-racist ideas and policies. And that's the, that's what it comes down to basically. So, I mean, that's almost true. Right. I, I can so see the logic behind that line of thinking. Right. And especially for, especially in that, that we like, well, we still sin, but we're not sinners. Right. We're not right. That, we don't have that identity anymore. Yet we still stand. You know what I mean? So there's right. kind of like some some truth to that and everything. But I just wanted to read this one part where he talks about um, liberation theology. Mm. So his parents were uh, Christians, and then they got caught up in liberation theology mm-hmm. black black liberation theology right basically um so what basically says um let me see skinner's new idea of jesus was born of and committed to a new reading of the gospel quote any gospel that does not speak to the issues of enslavement and injustice and in inequality any gospel that does not want to go where people are hungry and poverty stricken and set them free in the name of Jesus Christ is not the gospel. So black liberation theology is a, a gospel and a theology that says Christ came to set slaves free, to, to set pressed free from the oppressors. But what he fails to acknowledge is that that slave owner is also a slave. Right. That opp- that oppressor is also a slave to sin. We're all slaves right, to right, sin, right. and that's what Christ came to free us from: is our slavery to sin. Right. But He's putting in a more of like a <clears throat> cultural, political, socioeconomic thing of like there are the oppressed people and the oppressors, and so Christ came to free oppressed people from the oppressors, and and it's just not considering the biblical fact of we're all oppressed by sin we're all enslaved enslaved to sin even the slave master even the white man even the powerful the king the whoever they're they are slave to sin and that is what christ came to free us from they're taking a more literal like oh this person being oppressed by these other group of people basically and that's black liberation theology and he talks because that's that's useful right like in the here and now i can use that to further something yeah, I can't find it, but he 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 talks about how um, there it is. He talks about his mom and dad got caught up in this, and it was about their Christianity it was like this black liberation theology. It was very religious for them, right? This mm-hmm. idea of black power and freeing the oppressed and stuff. He says this definition, this new definition 
of the Christian life became the creed that grounded my parents' lives in the lives of their children. I cannot disconnect my parents' religious strivings to be Christian from my secular strivings to be an anti-racist. That is a huge statement for this because he is like the main promoter and, and, and you know, one of the biggest like minds that everybody is reading right now about critical race theory and racism and all these things. And it is a religious movement. Right. He's saying, I cannot disconnect my parents' religious strivings to be Christian from my secular strivings to be an anti-racist. He's equating those two things. So this is a religious movement for him, just right. as much as it was for his parents. He can't disconnect this secular, political, cultural movement from his parents' Christian strivings. And so he's placing in that same category of like a religious theological movement, right? Yeah. And that's huge because that that kind of thing has a lot of power, like religious movements and stuff. And well, I mean, he's the one saying it, it but it, it's it's obvious to anybody who's willing to like look at it that it's a religious movement in everything but name, right? I mean, like have right. you, you have orthodoxy, you have like admitting it. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. You have yeah. uh, blasphemy laws. You can't the say doctrine. this. You can't say yeah. that. Yeah. Doctrines. Right. Everything. Uh -huh. you, have, you even have you even have branches. You have different denominations <laughs> in the same umbrella. Yeah. But there's the whole Black Lives Matter. Like all of that is is a religious, faithful movement, right? And it's and it's theological, and we need to address right. it. We need to address it as such. You know what I mean? We need to address it as that, and not like a secular thing. And it kind of goes back to what I, you know, have been kind of processing and thinking through that there are no secular things, you know, there are, and there are no godless, right. I used to say godless people, but everybody has their own gods, you know? And so that's why I think a much more, right, right. Uh, a, a much more appropriate or, or accurate description of a non-Christian or non-believer is a pagan because they mm. all are pagan. Even like the evolutionists put, intent and design and purpose mm. behind random natural resources, right? Or right. random natural processes, right? Well, evolution gave us this. They can't even, they cannot escape the language. Right. Right. It's like, well, think, you know, the universe is trying to tell you something. Pagan. That's pagan. You're talking <laughs> like a pagan. Like you're worshiping nature. You're worshiping the stars. You're worshiping evo the evolutionary processes and stuff. And so it's like, and from that we get, from, from what is in nature, we get some sort of ought. Right. right. Well, that's your God. And whatever, and this idea of the material being eternal, whatever you believe is eternal yes, is your God. Right. Yes. And, and so, but we know, we, we've proven scientifically that material um, is not eternal, that everything, that the universe had a beginning. Like Stephen Hawking proved that. And then he's like, oh crap, I'm out of a job now. And so he spent the rest <laughs> of his life, he spent the rest of his life trying to disprove it and, and supposedly had with like, a lot of string theory and black holes and alternate universes and all these different kinds of stuff. And it's like, okay, now we're getting away from scientific method proof, right. you know, into theory and stuff. Yes. Well, the math philosophy, might, really. Well, it's like the math might work out maybe for something like that, but we just have no, what you call empirical proof. Right. right? You know, you, how, how, you would not accept that you, that kind of evidence in anything else, you right. know, the, the, logic of it or yeah the math adds up or you know anything right. like that in theory this would work okay well in theory a lot of things can work and stuff but it's not you don't, you don't <laughs> accept that as proof of something right well that was the bonson alternate universes bonson had the distinction that if you're talking about origins you're talking philosophy you're not talking science because right. you Naturalism. can't prove it you can't yeah it's all philosophy at that point 
materialism, naturalism, yeah, scientism. I mean, it all comes down down to an ism in a philosophy. And right. Then then it be, then it becomes about preference and not proof. And that's you know? I think that's the thing that Christians, if we if we understood, we'd be able to handle these things better. Uh, with critical race theory and with this kind of stuff is that when we when we come to the table with these ideas, we're coming on level ground in terms of we're both talking about philosophy and religion. It's not that one right. has data and science. We're we're talking about the same thing in the right. same way. When when it's, someone comes into your yeah. church and has critical race theory that they're spouting, they're evangelizing. They're trying to make proselytes. They're doing the same thing that we do. We're we're speaking the same language, just they want to code it differently. Right. It's a collision of worldviews. And they and they are stealing from the Christian worldview. The only thing that makes any of these things intelligible in a Christian comes from a Christian worldview, like reason right. or logic or anything. It's like you know, one of our friends we talk about using logical arguments and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, use their secular stuff against them. It's like secular stuff. That logic <laughs> is not logic is not secular. They're you know, they're, <laughs> how much does it weigh? Like they. they they would not believe they, you can't prove that logic exists without using it. And the whole circular reasoning thing too of like, well, everyone does it. How come you're allowed to appeal to the scientific method baselessly? Right. You know, it's like you would have to, how do we know this design? The scientific method is the best way to assess evidence. Uh, it's like, well, let's do an experiment. Oh, you're using, you're using the thing you're trying to prove. You're, right. you're appealing to the very thing in question. Well, that's what we do with scripture and God. We're not allowed to, but they are. Right. <laughs> Human reasoning is the best way to find truth. Well, why? Oh, let me give you a bunch of reasons. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. You can do it, but everybody <laughs> has like this. There's a circular element to all everyone's reasoning. Right. And it, so, what you have to do when when worldviews collide like that is find out which one's more consistent with itself. Mm. Right. Right. And right. Christian, Christian, biblical Christianity is the only one that stays consistent with itself mm. in that reasoning logic you know, love, morality. We have a basis for all these things in scripture. They don't. There, You have evolved protoplasm and then love and beauty. And right, so, exactly. You, know, you got to explain co human consciousness, you know, from just strict materialism. You just right. can't. <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, so I read the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, super crazy. Um, we'll probably dive deeper into that more, but yeah. That almost uh, it. That's the one group that yeah. is super. Like you said, that there's a lot of people of color dead in the Middle East, and the whole anti-racist movement seems real quiet about that right now. Like they really don't care because that doesn't they get don't them care. Pain. I mean, and, and it goes, goes to like all the all the uh, black people dying in Chicago. They don't care about that. You don't actually care about black lives. Like you just don't. I mean, right. that's what it comes down to. It's this power oppression, weird thing that you're trying to do and it's like marxism keeps failing as a economic movement or revolution or something but once you put it in the context of race especially in america it mm. starts to gain traction right? right so that's why there's a reason the black lives matters are all trained marxists because this is what it is it's just color-coded you know <laughs> in this black white oppression power you know but power oppression that's all the the same Marxists talk about like well, I mean, know, it's it's really and, appealing. It's it's super appealing to be able to blame any failure you have on somebody else. Yeah, like it's it's the it's the most convenient thing to like. Oh, none of the things that have gone wrong in my life are my fault. It can all be put on. And it's not like I don't know why that's surprising because we all do that thing. Yeah, 
all the time. We just not to that scale, but we all do that. Like if we're late for work, it's not my fault. If we're if we're in a bad mood, it's not my fault. You, this is why I do that because you do this all the time. No, you do it because you're a jerk. That's why you do that. It's not the other person's fault, but they just taken it and made it society wide. Yeah. Um. Um. So I read that, and then I'm re- I right now I just finished that Candy's book, and now I'm reading Vodibakum's book Fault Lines. Mm. Um about the social justice movement and critical race theory and stuff and, and his view of that. And it's like, he's, he's like a, a, a complete negation of that whole argument right. of like, <laughs> you can't get ahead. You can't do anything. You can't, you know? Right. And it's like, I, he was born and he was, grew up in South central LA. Like he right. was in those, t- like in those gangs and he was every, every cultural black issue he's faced that you're talking about. He's faced and has right. overcome but not because some white person saved him, you know, from well, his he, fight. He, you know, actually goes to Africa and stays over there and builds schools over there and, like, it helps people yeah. improve their lives and stuff. Like, He's somebody who Zambia. seems to actually care about black lives. Yeah. All black lives. Yeah. All black That's lives. Not, not just the American ones that can get him sponsorships or, you know, social media clout. Yeah. Well, because that's the only – he takes away the, their, their strongest argument, which is you don't – you can't understand. Right. You can't understand because you're white or because right, whatever, right. you know, and so in, which is a really dangerous thing to do because then you're creating this disparity between people who cannot understand each other. Right. You're saying you literally, you, there's no way, even if you're poor, even if you grew up in the same exact conditions and situations, the neighborhood you grew up right next door to me, you don't understand. It's like, okay, well then what are we doing here? How do we have a country where we can be unified? And I think right. the real thing is, because I saw the documentary about um, Daryl Davidson. Um, yeah, yeah. Dude, he like con- converts uh, <laughs> KKK people. He gets them out of the clan just by being their friend, by compassion right. and just friendship. He keeps their and, hoods. Yeah, he like takes their robes and stuff and they're That's not crazy. racist anymore. And they're not, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. But there used to be this idea of, race relations in America and unit in unity and, and everything that used to be the goal. Right. So, so, so what I see like from Martin Luther King and like Daryl Davidson and the kind of the old, uh, civil rights and, and, and racial, uh, discussion, basically the goal was unity, right. white people and black people and Brown people and everyone coming together and living together and, doing everything just unity that was the goal the goal was let's come together as a country we're all americans we're all people there's only one race the human race and right. we're all in this together and there's unity right that was the goal i that's not the goal of black lives matter and the right. new critical race theory people that is not the goal the goal for black lives matter and the new critical race theory movement is payback yes right it's revenge it's our turn Right. It's flip it, you know. Right. And it's like, OK, th- so we don't have the same goals. No. <laughs> you at know, all. And, 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 and the goals, and we, what we want is not the same. And that's a big issue, too. That's a huge but issue. Again, I mean, again, that shouldn't be surprising because united peoples as one family is a Christian ethic. Mm. And further, a post-millennial ethic, but that's a whole other thing for another time. But it's a Christian ethic, that idea of all people united together as one family under God. That's a Christian ethic. The world, of course, rejects that. That's not what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? I mean, and that's – we don't want that. And that's what right. we find. Our, our Christians, we find our unity in Christ. 
in the gospel and not not in our cultures and not in our right. race, not yes. in our gender, not in our in our nationality, nothing. We find our unity in Christ and our identity in Christ. And that's for everyone. That's the same across the board for all people. So yeah. But. It just it I didn't listen to the podcast, but I'm gonna have to listen to it. Um, somebody on Instagram sent me a message with a, a little podcast link where I'll, I'll forward it to you because it's hilarious. It, it was asking the question, did post-millennialism contribute to the current fractured state of America? And I, I don't really understand their reasoning behind it because I would say it's, it's pre-millennialism that got us to the state in American politics we are. But uh, I, I honestly think it, if if the church could be like one, <laughs> if more of the church was actually Christian and we actually believed what we talk about and what we say and what we read and what we preach, um, if we could actually read the Bible the way it was meant to be delivered and have that message with that kind of vision where, oh, Christ is conquering nations and bringing people together as one family, all of this stuff wouldn't be such a big issue because there would be someone to have a counterpoint. Mm-hmm. There's no one that really has a counterpoint because everybody's afraid of being racist or everybody's afraid of being called racist or whatever it is. And I understand that from somebody who's just a secularist because you, what do they have to stand on? They're really nothing. It's the same. They're just competing ideas. But if the church actually had an answer and we would have something to stand on that's solid and true and real, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a long time ago uh, or somewhere along the line, you know, I said this before, uh, just in our, in our conversation, somewhere along the line, the American church, uh, their goal was to create good, decent Americans. Yes. You know, and the Bible Sunday school was full of Bible stories that were just moral, moral morality tales right. of how to be a good, decent citizen, you know, and instead of repentant Christians, you know, we're talking about sin and grace. You know, that it, it, the church stopped talking about that and it became this Ronald Reagan moral majority, right? You know, baseball and apple pie, good, decent <laughs> citizen kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. And so, and so now that's kind of what church has become. And then we've drifted. And then, especially with our schools, like if we wanted to change the tide of, of secularism and anti Christian thought and, and movement, we could do that instantly by all Christians pulling their kids out of public schools. Right. That because Christians are having children. Christians are leaving a legacy. Christians are having babies and, and creating families. The pagans are killing their children or just being gay and not having children. Right. Right. <laughs> or maybe adopting one, which is great, which is good. But otherwise they're killing them or just not getting married or not have, or getting married and not having any kids. And then, just getting older, maybe have one, you know, right. right? But we're going to outpace them basically in our procreation, basically. Right, right. So the problem, the last thing we have to solve is sending <laughs> them off to these pagans to be taught, right? To hate us, because <laughs> that's what people are doing. Oh my, my kid, my Christian kid left the church after you know, yeah. You sent them to Rome. You sent them to the pagans, and you know, and now they hate you. Now they're not Christians. They're trained eight hours a day compared to your eight minutes a day you get with them mm. to to teach them any sort of Christianity, and then you take them to church, which is all just morality tales, right? And just BS, moral majority American crap, and then the pagan teachers 
tell them and reveal to them that uh, that's all church is. And then they're like, wow, this is a bunch of crap. And they're never taught the Bible or gospel or about right. sin and grace. And so, you know, it's because you didn't teach them. You sent them off to the naturalist pagans to be taught. And well, they did, became naturalist pagans. Did you see the lady? Uh, I forget where she was a teacher in. But one of, the, one of the kids filmed her giving her, like, first day of class speech. And she was making the points. It's like, we're here to teach you that you're smarter than your stupid parents were. And basically just laying it all out on Front Street. Uh, she got fired because it went viral. <laughs> but there's a lot. I mean, we saw the video that one of our friends shared with us of just teachers explaining their method to to teaching and how it's all based on that gender and sexuality and uh, oh, the oppressor-oppression yeah. dynamic. And they're just like upfront with it now. The only people who aren't, aren't upfront with their religious beliefs, ironically enough, are Christians. Yeah, with the ones with the actual truth. Because they don't know it. Like they study, like pagans study their right. doctrine. They know it. They're 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 in that culture, and they've committed. Yes. They've, you know, they've committed more than we will of even dismembering themselves of things. And you know, it's like okay, that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. But it, it's just the 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 watering down of the American church. It's just no one talking about sin and repentance and grace, and you know, and so nobody is actually Christians who thinks that they are. Got these suburban, you know, soccer mom Christians that just don't, it's all moralism and feel good hallmark Christianity, you know, well, and, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. What bothers me a little bit now is that um, I feel like that kind of culture is shifting into the reform community. Uh, whereas, you know, I used to think when I would think of reformed Christians, I would think of somebody who was solid, who had read, I, I would think of a Doug Wilson, a James White, somebody like that, like a scholarly person who's willing to debate ideas because they understand what they believe. But if I feel like now reform theology on the internet or just in culture is more of a club and it's kind of like church used to be like, you like the outside. I like beards and cigars and beer. So I'm reform, but you know, all the other stuff like, eh, well, you know, whatever I'm reform. It's okay. Yeah, uh, there's definitely, a, there's, I guess there's always a, a danger of culture overcoming, you know, the actual uh, truth of a, of a doctrine or something. I mean, like evangelicalism, you know, like what it means to evangelize or be an evangelical. And then there's like a whole big evangelical culture. Right. Like, well, right. That's, not, that's not it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> We've been listening to the Mars Hill podcast. No, I haven't. I'm. I feel like I'm gonna hate it. Oh, you'll hate it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 a it's a critique on Mars Hill and Driscoll without using the Bible, which is really annoying because right. it's like, you know, they're like, oh, he told women to, you know, not work. It's like, okay, that may or may not be. Correct, but you need to be, bring scripture to rebuke that. Right. Or like, like, why are you? Why are you saying you that's wrong? With that with, you need to contend with that with scripture, and they never, ever, ever do. Right. They never say he's getting this part of scripture wrong. He's misinterpreting right, right. this part. They're just saying like, oh, it made people feel bad, so right. therefore he's wrong. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then they got Joshua Harris on to talk oh, about man. that. It's like, yeah, let's hear from the apostate. <laughs> and then there was this there was this chick who like went to Mars Hill for two years and like studied and analyzed and critique built like a whole critique of the culture and uh -huh. Mark Driscoll. She's not even a Christian. She's some psychologist, <laughs> sociologist. And it's like, 
okay, why are we listening to her? Right. Why does her opinion, her pagan blind opinion matter? I mean, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're not holding Christians to the standard of the scripture and into Christian, into Christianity. We're holding them to current psychology and sociology right, right. or whatever. And what I, what I feel like what happened with Driscoll now, he had his flaws to be sure. Yes. He, <laughs> but yes. I think what, what the big, the big issue that caused his downfall was big Eva progressed past him, progressed air quotes past him and then judged him by that new mm. progressive standard. You know what I mean? Right. Because everything was okay until everybody got softer. And then they started <laughs> looking back on him and like, cause he was never really hiding anything. The culture just right. got soft or got woke or got progressed, more progressive, whatever. And he didn't move along with that. And like, Oh, he's, he didn't evolve with us. So he's bad mm. now. But what? Okay, okay, so like a lot of uh, Chandler, I would say, that is kind of the same thing, and that he also didn't evolve with the times. He hasn't really changed what he does, but he's not under the fire fire like a uh, Driscoll is. And Chandler maybe has a bigger reach. I mean, definitely has a bigger reach. I, I would say. Yeah. So what? Like, what's the difference? Why Driscoll? I think what Chandler. I think what Chandler does is. We talk about this in our church as well. We have this men's ministry thing called Build Men and Flourish Women. And it's like these just two men's men's, men's ministry. And we were, we're really trying to focus on, I think this is something Chandler gets right that Driscoll got wrong, is to build men and not beat up men. You know what I mean? I think Driscoll, and, and even even though the men might have a comment, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you suck. How dare you? You're, you know, you think this. You're just a boy who can shave. It's like, okay, great. What do I do about that? How how do I, you know, mm. help me? Like, you know, and it's it's <laughs> that it's that knowledge with love kind of thing of like, right. yes, what he's saying is true, but build up, man. You don't have to like. I think a lot of men know that there's something lacking and missing and. So just provide that, like just help build men and don't just beat up men. Now, sometimes you might have to get harsh and that sort of like tough love thing. But right. I think that because that's something that uh, I think a, a lot of men are attracted to Jordan Peterson by. And he's not mm. beating up men. He's not berating right. you. He's not tearing you down and telling you suck and like all these things. He's saying, hey, here's a way. Here's a way that men should be. And here's a way to be a man. And, and people are just gravitating to that, you know. So right. I think that was a lot of Driscoll's flaws is just hammering on men and then and then maybe build you up and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> okay, can we just get to the building up a little quicker? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> speaking, speaking the truth a little, with a little more love, you know? I don't know. It's like almost like he got off on like just right. being telling you you're not manly or you're not a biblical right, man right. and stuff. And it's like, okay, great. I kind of knew something was wrong. Can you help me? You know, so my I, my biggest problem with Driscoll was the way he dressed. That was the number <laughs> one flaw. T-shirts and like, yes. his embroidered jeans. I just couldn't. Uh, his biker boots could not do uh, it. Oh, uh, and there's the, there, the podcast is a lot about like cultural uh, uh, cult so cult of personality, which I think is a mm. huge deal for Driscoll. Yes, um, and and also the the the, the uh, charisma of a pastor outpacing his character. In a sense, mm. because he he did he did he was like opposed to a, like a submission to elders and stuff. And it's mm. like okay, well that's a problem. And so then it right. becomes all about him. 
and the church grew too fast. The church, right. like you scaled so fast. And I've heard of someone too, like, Oh, a control freak. You're a control freak. And like, Oh, well, when you're going hundred miles an hour, you have to have control. <laughs> Say, that's true. Right. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't call a race car driver control freak because he's just like <laughs> laser focused. I mean, you right. have to, but when you're scaling that fast, it's outpacing your integrity and right. your, the, the character and integrity of your church and the leadership, the integrity of the leadership. So mm. it's about two things, the church growing faster than the integrity of the leadership mm. and the person's charisma outpacing his character. Uh, the, because then it becomes all about one person. So if your right. church is out, is growing too quickly to outpace the integrity of the leadership, and I mean in t personal integrity of the character of the men leading, but also how many people you got? You got you know, one guy or something. Right. He's dictating all these things, and then that one guy's charisma outpacing his character because everybody's listening, engaged, and everything, but he's right. just like this you know psycho <laughs> behind the <laughs> <closed> doors <laughs> you know so i think those are all the recipes for disaster recipe mm. for disaster for for mars hill and rightly That's, so i mean to, to a great extent rightly so but right. i think he could he could have repented or he could have you know i don't know There's a lot of things i mean he's and he seems to have come out on the other side very bitter about the whole thing especially when i hear him talk about calvinism and reform theology now like it's a very like yeah, what he's got a, a horrible mean, taste in his mouth for it now but what what is that? I mean, named his all his kids Calvin and Luther and everybody like <laughs> now he's like hates it. I haven't like followed up on what he meant by all. I heard of those comments he made, but I, I mean it's it, to me it feels it feels like sour grapes from my friends turned on me. It feels like to me. Because when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about it from a very good theological point. It's like a personal right. Almost. It's always like, oh, well, it's, they have daddy issues, and that's why they have this because the dad they can never. It just it doesn't come off like I thought through this deeply. It's just I'm right. mad at how I think about you. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a whole thing. But I think that's something that Chandler gets right, and that's why you know he's not, uh, you know, facing this like all this backlash because he's not so abrasive and right. beating down on people. You know, hmm. but. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, there you go. <laughs> we'll see. Turns out to be some sex freak or something. <laughs> it's all do. the, the button-down polo. You never see yeah, it coming. I know, man. Find a bunch of skeletons God. in his closet. Yeah, that's 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 Maybe the not. thing about like confession that's cool is like helpful and necessary is that when you have like a confession and uh, elders who are over you and like uh, accountability, there's never that worry of like, what do they find out? Like, well, they're going to find out because you're going to tell them. That's why they're going to find out. And you're not going to have yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And I think we tend to put uh, pastors and leaders on a pedestal of uh, rather than knowing that they're in the trenches there with us, you know, right. our church leadership. We have to understand because when, 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 some, when, a, when a pastor or church leader confesses a bunch of sin or he's found out on a bunch of sin and you're devastated your level of devastation and the detriment it is to your faith and stuff shows where your faith and hope was which was in him and it was where it shouldn't have been you know and that's why people are so people leave the faith when they get spurned by a church or something is because your faith is in the church your right. faith is in people in leadership rather than christ 
and, you know, and so, and you didn't realize all those people and leaders at church were in the trenches there with you. Right. You know, that's what you got to see. And you kind of, kind of expect like, Hey, what if there was some kind of scandal happened with my pastor? Would I be like, oh, well, there goes my Christianity. There goes my faith. <laughs> you know, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's funny cause we apply that retroactively too. Um, I think we pass theologians we put on a pedestal too. And we, we like to have saints. We like to have people that are like up here and we can say that was, that's the example to follow. That's the, and we don't yeah. like to think about the way Luther talked to people or Jonathan Edwards having slaves or any of that kind of stuff. Like we don't want to talk about that. We just wanted the good points, please. Yeah. We want something more tangible and in, and say more tangible, but I think, I think God is, is plenty tangible. Right. Um, but we're too easily pleased, right? We want the lesser thing or mm. something. We're more right. satisfied with putting our faith in this human, this person or this thing or whatever, you know, because we're stupid and we don't know that <laughs> we don't, you know, there's, there's literally God to put your faith in and Christ to put your faith in, but we don't. Right. And that's you know, the, because, that's the biggest irony is that like, we're always looking for a man to follow and God became a man. And it's like, but not that one, another one. Yeah, I never met him. You know, I don't know. What he looked, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can't see him. I don't know what he looked never like. Sh- never shook his hand. He never looked me in it. You know. Yeah. Like, I, I never shook his hand. I never shook taxes. his hand and looked him in the eye. And it's like, okay, those are really, really low standards of how to put your faith in, <laughs> in, in God. You know, your eyes, your hand. Like, what? That's stupid. That's so dumb. Yeah. But yeah. Well, anyway. that kind of gets into the category of, of what we're looking at as far as glory, because that's <laughs> right. kind of an issue of misplaced glory. Uh, so tonight we wanted to right. get into the final sola of the summer, and an we're still not in. sure how to say it. An hour <laughs> in, yeah, I know. It was a lot going on. We've been off for like five weeks. <laughs> that's longer, true. We had some, like some catching months. up to do. Right. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, uh-huh. Glory to God alone, the final, ultimate point of everything. I guess all yep. five leading up to this one for the glory of God alone. Um, <clears throat> it's, it almost feels too heavy to approach like the idea of glory to God alone. And yeah. just that, that idea of everything, like every, everything you can think of everything that's ever happened. Every aspect of reality is for the glory of God. Yeah. It's the, it's the Westminster confession. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Right. And so like, it's it, it sounds kind of weird. Have you ever told like asked somebody in, in my more rage cage stage of this whole <laughs> <laughs> doctrines of grace and reformed theology and stuff? I would ask people, "Do you know what the purpose of life, the meaning of life is?" Because I do. Which is <laughs> <laughs> which is a great way. Yeah, to great starter. Let, to just let anybody you're talking to just like ignore you for the rest. <laughs> just to just say it like that, to present it like that. Like I have the meaning of life. I have it. And you have it all together? Cause I do. And I can show you how. <laughs> yeah. You know what the meaning of the universe and in, in life and everything is? I do. That's a great like, video. Okay. That's an infomer- I'm shooting that infomercial this week. Uh, that's what I do. <laughs> My next one. But just to come in that hot is a really is just <laughs> the the response is usually like anything you say now I'm not going to believe. Right, you're an idiot. <laughs> anything you're going to tell me after this, 
but yeah, I mean the, oh the whole God. the whole That's purpose of, of the whole meaning of life and universe and everything is to glorify God, and everything does glorify God. And when we say glorify and glory, we mean to show the greatness of. Mm. Right, that's like the biblical definition of glory right. is to show the bigness and great greatness and heaviness and bigness of something. Right, that's what we glorify it. Right, and so that is the purpose of the universe is to do that to God. And the the reason God created the universe was to reflect His own glory back unto Himself. Mm. And people don't like that. No, people people really don't like that because <laughs> that, that's a narcissist, right? Right, right. You know. And that's Donald Trump. And that's, you know, I've had conversations like this with people. And and that's the thing. It's like, okay, but that's, it's not because he's God, right? right. It's only, like, it, it's just true. Like, anything we show, like, the great God is the greatest, well, yeah, that's just a fact. I'm not, it's not a point of arrogance or narcissism. I mean, you're just stating an actual fact of, like, God is the best. He is, right. he's God. Like who else can have all the glory? You, <laughs> you know, and so well, that's <laughs> Wilson talked about this a little bit, uh, and it was something that really stuck out to me because it's really made me rethink a lot of on relationships. Is he talked about jealousy as a virtue, and he was saying the the problem with jealousy, the way we describe it, is we're not talking about jealousy; we're talking about envy and covetousness. That's right. what we're talking about when we use it. We want Other something stuff, right? But it is perfectly moral and right to be jealous for a thing that belongs to you. Belongs so, to like, you. if somebody else is trying to make time with your wife, you should be jealous. That's the right. correct response because that's your wife. Right. But if it's if it's somebody else's girlfriend or something that you're like, oh, I wish that was mine. That's incorrect. You're now yeah. you're coveting. Now you're being uh, envious. That's where the distinction is. So, for God to be jealous for His people, for their worship, for their their uh, respect and honor is perfectly reasonable because he's the only one who deserves it. Right. It's his. We're his. You know, it's like, man, right. it's like you let your your neighbor borrow your lawnmower. And it's like, man, I'm really, I, I want that lawnmower. It's like, it's yours. <laughs> Just you're go not, get it. Right. <laughs> it's not jealous. You're not, you're not being covetous. You bought as yours. You bought that and he's just using it or it's a lot of something. It, so you want it. It's not wrong. It's yours. <laughs> Okay. I was talking about this to an extent with somebody because they were saying that uh, a Seventh-day Adventist <laughs> was saying that uh, love is a choice. It can't be forced because then it's not a choice. And uh, we're, you know, so I, I asked him, the, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is it unreal? Is it fake love because you're commanded to give it? Like, yeah. is that, you know, and it gets to that point, like God commands you to love him. Yeah. Is it's that? Not a, it's not a. It's not a. Like, <laughs> man, I hope you do. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's a command. Um, but yeah, but like, so like, but that whole idea of like narcissism and like God's a narcissist and he's a arrogant, you know, ego, whatever, you know. But but, but that that criticism is always like thinking who, who does he think he is? Right. Well, he thinks he's God because <laughs> he is God. That's just I don't understand like. People, people really think God is made in our image. And yes. that's something I've, I've kind of come to recently with about the Trinity, kind of exploring, like figuring out the Trinity. Um, James White had a really good debate with the Muslim guy about the Trinity. And the Muslim guy just debated from a secular hmm. pagan point of view and not from a faithful, but even to, to the Quran or to like a godly perspective. He didn't, he didn't, he argued like an atheist against, right. the, against the Trinity. 
which I mean, I don't know how how a Muslim would argue, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what he, as he came out. It was, it was sound like William Lane Craig kind of philosophy first yeah. stuff, you know? Right. And, like, and he's like, dude, where's your faith? Like, <laughs> you, I thought it was debating a Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you're appealing to this like pagan standard, hmm. where, but, but what it kind of boiled down to was God is not like us. Right. Right. It's like, well, okay, one being, three persons. I'm a being, and I only have one person. It's like, yeah, because you're not God, you know. <laughs> but you know what else you can't do right now? Walk on water. You know what else you can't do? You know, create something out of nothing. You can't do that. God can, but you can't. So God right. is not like us. So we we cannot be in two places at the same time. We cannot read the hearts of man. We cannot be, you know, no, we're not being omniscient. We're not. There's a lot of things that God is that we are not. And, and so God is different than us. And so we talk about his being and his person. He has one being and three persons. Well, I don't get that. Yeah, because you're a being who only has one person, right? And it's like same thing with kind of like I don't get resurrection. I don't get a lot of right. these things that God <laughs> does that we don't. You know what I mean? So God is not like us. And that is something that we really need to understand, especially with this. Because if I say I'm the greatest, if I have a narcissist, if I'm self-centered, then I am worshiping the created thing, right? I'm bringing glory to the created thing myself, and that's wrong. That's why being a narcissist and an arrogant egomaniac is wrong because you're bringing glory and showing the greatness of the created thing, me, and that's wrong. It's wrong if I do it with a wooden idol. It's wrong if I do it with my job. It's wrong if I do it with myself, of glorifying myself, glorifying my job, glorifying whatever it is, glorifying this your your spouse or something you know anything uh material possessions money anything and but usually it's yourself especially in this age of self-love and self-care right. and self-esteem self-esteem like we are giving esteem we are, <laughs> you know that's it like right. we're like well, i want to be held in high esteem well myself my self-esteem and so that's wrong because it's the created thing you know mm. and so well, that's, I mean, that's that's not one of the things that I've, he, I've noticed. He's, he's actually deserving and worthy of it. Right. And that's one of the things I've noticed with all five of these going through them is that they all kind of come down to a, like, who do you think you are in relation to God? Right. And yeah. it, 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 whether it's scripture, it's like, well, scripture's the authority. Why? Because it's from God. Well, what about my authority? You don't have any. Right. <laughs> you know, by grace alone. Like, what about my works? Your works aren't good enough. What do you think? Who do you think you are that you could do anything? And all right. of those kind of boil down to the end, actually this one. Like yeah. who does who does God think he is? Well, who do you think you are? And that's the that's the Paul answer, right? Like who do you, who are you, oh man? Yeah, and people don't like that. And it's literally uh, the daughter. Of, I think it was the daughter, the granddaughter of the Phelps. Um, forget her name. The the Westboro Baptist. Mm, uh -huh. She got out. She got out. Right. You know, and she was like, forget this. And she was on Rogan. <laughs> she was on Rogan. That was a really interesting podcast because she went into the whole thing, and it and that is. And she and she talked about how like everything's about God and it's just about him and it's not about people and, she, and that's why she's not a Christian anymore and because Ro was asking her like wow like so it's not about it's not here to help humanity it's not here to you know create a better society or so, so civilization and make sure people can build a functioning society and she's like, no, it's about him. It's all about, you know. And then she's like, that's why and this, that's why I'm not a Christian anymore. And she cited Romans 9. Mm -hmm. of like, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Right. As not the potter to write over the, the right or over the clay. 
you know, right. and so we don't like that, you know, <laughs> and that, that is the root of all sin is wanting to replace God with ourselves. Yes. That's Adam and Eve. And it's everybody. It's the whole, it's, it's sin. It's, I want to do my, it's ungratefulness because I'm owed something and I want something right. that's lacking. Even though I'm a Christian, even though that I inherit the entire world in Christ, I, I'm rejecting that and saying I'm lacking something. Yes. And so we want something else. So ungratefulness and yeah. is the root of sin and wanting to replace God with ourselves is the root of sin. Mm. Not your will, but my will be done. Yes. My autonomy, my ways, my law. This uh, this past Sunday, our pastor kind of spoke on that. And he was uh, going through the psalm that talks about how the fool said in his heart that there is no God. And he was saying that we like to have that to kind of boost ourselves up and, and, and say, you know, oh, the fool. Anybody who doesn't believe in God is a fool. I believe in God. I'm not a fool. And, and then the he fool. pointed out <laughs> Mr. T, also a Christian. So. <laughs> and he was in the crappy Christian movies to prove it, son. Pity <laughs> the fool that gets left behind. <laughs> and then he's left behind. Oh no, I was the fool. Oh no, I pity myself. <laughs> but he was pointing out that uh, we do the same thing constantly. When whenever we sin, we're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. We're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. We're saying in our heart there is no God. We're doing the same thing every time we sin. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's it's wanting to replace God with ourselves. It's our ways, our laws, our standard. You know, because I was talking with somebody, is like, oh, well, he's he's a tyrant. God's a tyrant, and I, you know, he's a narcissist. This accusations, right? And I said, by what standard? <laughs> our, our, our our favorite uh, question, right? By what standard? You're making this accusation. By what standard is God a tyrant? And he said, it was like, he didn't, he didn't even think about it. He's like, by my standard. And I was like, who are you? Yeah, so what? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who do you think you are? And, you know, you're this evolved molecules or, or something, or that's what you'd say you are. Right. An evolved protoplasm. Like, who, who cares about you or your standard? You know, <laughs> why should anybody care about your standard? I saw an atheist debate one time that one of their one of their rationales for why there was no God is uh, he was like, I have a list of things in the universe that I think are not designed intelligently. And if I would have designed them, I would have done it this way. And therefore, I was like, who are you? Why are you the gold standard? Let me approach you before I do anything in my life, because apparently you're the standard for all reason, rationality and design. Yeah. What, tell me about human consciousness. Oh, yeah. We don't really know about that. So, <laughs> what are you even talking about then? It's like the that that joke about like a bunch of scientists go to God and say, "Hey, God, we don't need you anymore. We we can create humans, uh, you know, from scratch. Basically, not even procreation. We can we create our own people. We you know we don't need you anymore." And God says, "Okay, well, how about I create a human and you create a human, and we'll see which one's better." And oh, okay. And then so God starts forming the dirt, you know, the dust and it's a form of man. And then the scientists get some dirt and start doing the same. And God says, oh, no, no, hey, get your own dirt. <laughs> you know, it's like this is all God's and this all belongs to him. So you, anything that you say that you think you can do, you're appealing, is, is a grace given to you. You're even your own consciousness. Right, right, right. You know, we can reason our way to go. Where did you get reason? What is that? Can't even explain it from your worldview, from your pagan worldview. You can't even explain what reason is or how we have it or why it's reliable. Why would you trust it? <laughs> but that that's used to always kind of 
not I don't want to say bug me, but it always kind of confused me about the book of Job. Because uh, at the end of the book, Job really doesn't get an answer for his question, right? Everybody mm -hmm. shows up to, to give him their reasoning. This is why this happened to you, Job. This is why this happened to you. And all of them are wrong. And he never gets a reason. But the, the summation of everything is that basically God tells him, I don't owe you an explanation, but you owe me your faith. Mm. And that's yeah. so difficult to like try to explain to people or try to even explain, you know, believe in yourself sometimes. Like I, you may never have an answer in this life to why things are the way they are, but your duty and responsibility is to have faith regardless. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and people don't like that because we want to be a God. We want to be God. I mean, again, it always comes back to that of like, why don't we like this? Why don't we submit? Why don't we repent? Why don't we put ourselves under God? It's because we want to be God. That's why right. we don't like him glorifying himself because he's supposed mm. to glorify us. Right. And we're supposed to love, you know, <laughs> my best to... life. Right. And I think that's that, you know, because we can understand die for your neighbor or we can, right. you know, show, show the greatness of your neighbor, be selfless, right. right. For others. And so we, we, we call that a virtue. We call that a good of like, right. if I'm, if I'm self, I'm, if I'm not arrogant, if I'm not all about myself, if I'm not self-centered, it's good for us to not be self-centered. So we understand that. We know that. Even the pagan knows that, right? Right. Because, but that's only good because we're not God, right? And so it's good to honor other image bearers of God in that right. way and to, right. love, to love God and to love your neighbor, right? That was the commandments. And so, yeah, that is good. But loving God is the first one. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. we don't like that part. We like the love your neighbor part because I'm a neighbor. <laughs> right, yeah. somebody's gonna love me. <laughs> yeah, right, it's like, well, okay, great. I'm gonna get some of this back. Right, right, Whereas, exactly. Like, all glory to God is glory to God. You know, so man, that and that's those parts in the Gospels where it gets weird—not weird, but almost for an American, it gets weird. Right, like render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Like, really? That's where that's where you feel about taxes, Jesus. That's how we gotta do this. Or you, you, you know, if someone if someone slaps you on the uh, right cheek turn your left or if they yeah. take your cloak your cloak give them your tunic if they ask you to go one mile go two and we really don't like that because it's not like what hold on like my dignity my rights my fairness my goodness yeah yeah there's this um it's it's funny that like there's like a freedom it's it's, it's weird too because there's like a, there's a freedom in giving in like um it's like the law of liberty right or like it you know it you can equate it to a kite with a string on it, right? It stays up and it stays, right. it stays going, but it's because it's got, it's tethered down and there's like a discipline and like a submission and a tied down to it. But that's the only way a, a kite stays up. It doesn't have a, fl a, a string on it. It goes, hits the ground and burns right. out. Right. So there is this like freedom in the law in the orderliness of Christ and God and right. of giving up your, self and not you know putting yourself last mm. and putting god first it, it's like seek seek first the kingdom of god and all these things will be added to you right right so like yes right it's only when we're seeking the kingdom and, and we're putting god first it's like love god over your family that that's a big one that people don't like that, mm. that they don't yes. think, think right. about. glorify god put him first over your family over yourself over your job over anything but we need to what we need to realize as christians is that and if unless we put God first, we're no good to our family. 
right? right. Yes, we're, glor yes. we're glorifying something else or worshiping them or, or worshiping our job or glorifying our job or something, and we're not putting God first, that's going to make us less valuable to the peop people we love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because then we're, we're, we're not seeing the kingdom first. Mm. Man, that really, <laughs> that's so fitting to where we are now because I feel like it did. Uh, America has become that to where American Christians are like, well, my faith is like over here, but I also have to be a father and husband and employee or boss or manager. And we think we can do that stuff apart or like pull lessons from it to apply to this. Right. That, right. That's, that's how we look at everything. Like, well, what lesson can I learn from this that I can apply practically as opposed to like, no, if this doesn't drench your life, everything else is going to fail. Well, because we're the sun, we're the God. We're the we're the center of our <laughs> we're the center of our universe and everything revolves around us, right? Right. God, I am me, and I am God, and I have a job, I have a family, I have hobbies, I have whatever, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, whose blood? Christ's blood. Right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. No, so like, and so everything revolves around me, and then my Christianity is one of the kind of one of the thing that contributes to me, right? right? This helps me, and that's why I think the American church has a lot of times become this moralistic thing of like, well, live your best life now, how to improve your life, this self help thing with an improper view of self, right? And it's like the glorified view of self, and so we're trying to just make our Christianity and the Bible and this whole God thing just another aspect of our solar system that revolves around us hmm. right rather than like no all these things that you have including yourself and your identity everything is put under submission to god right and put under christ and put under scripture it's die to self right it's that's so whole, like we want the story to be about us yes and that's <laughs> you know we're the star of our own movie and now you're telling me we're not you know and we don't like that you know, because I'm all I've ever known. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's funny because it's like the Matt Chandler thing, right? Like, you're not David because we want to be the hero in the story. But even oh. in the story, like, David's not the hero of the story. Right. He's the he's the one we're seeing, but he's not the hero. He's the fornicator. He's the murderer. He's the, all of those things. Like, the, the hero of the story is God from cover to cover. We just can't like fathom that we, we got to attach ourselves to a character. The anthropology of man to have a biblical anthropology is extremely important. And we don't, we have even in, in Christianity with like the free will thing and our autonomy and Arminism and stuff that whole, the whole thing is like, I have something to contribute. I'm going to put my hand in also. You know, is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and have your own. You know, we 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 place such value on that, even into our Christianity, of like I have something I have to have put my faith. I've got this my own little faith, and I'm gonna put it in God, rather than that being a gift, like Ephesians two says, my faith, right, is a gift. So that's how God is glorified, and I'm not glorified because if I have the box of faith that I'm gonna like give to Buddha. Or give to Muhammad, <laughs> or give to God, or give to whoever. Then it's my like little box of faith that I'm gonna give to something, 
And so I and I'm in a better I got I choose wisely, right? And I have right, the wisdom right. because I'm like God, because I was created in the image of God. And that means I have the wisdom and you know <laughs> the the ability to please God, even though the Bible says we don't <laughs> to choose rightly. I, we, the Bible says we don't have right and that kind of ability to choose rightly. That, well, that kind of carries into our like idea of repentance too, in a way. One for penance, like pen, that idea of penance is like I gotta shed a little skin to make up for what I did. Like I, it's it's not any different than like I have to have an, a pleasing sacrifice. You don't, you can't, you don't have a pleasing sacrifice. And that's such an anti-Christian uh, thought because it's saying, Christ, what you did on the cross is not enough. I have right. to offer something into myself. I need a little of is, my blood because yours didn't cover it. That's a and that's a <laughs> scary. <laughs> position to take <laughs> well i was thinking about that's that a... this this week too we talk about it a lot uh in our little you know private group chat but that idea of like the self-shame right like the like oh, i messed up again and you get this thought of like i can't go pray until i fix this thing like mm -hmm. i need to i need to clean up the mess so i look acceptable when i walk in and we don't like we can't fathom like you never looked acceptable yeah. You're never go nothing you're going to do is going to clean it up enough to you're not going to go rinse yourself in the Jordan and you're going to come out clean now. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Well, when we yeah, when we when we sin and we feel the shame and we feel like we lost some worthiness that we had. Yes. And that's that's such an incorrect thought. It's a blasphemous thought. It's a very like arrogant thought to have of like I could I had something to offer and now I blew it. Mm. Like no, you didn't. You never had right. anything to offer. <laughs> you know, because if it's you did, good. then you then you could be attributed some of the glory, and you yes. might have some reason to boast. And we don't because we don't offer anything to it. Mm. You know, it's the monergism versus synergism. It's God. You know, it's not us reaching up and God reaching down. It's you're dead at the bottom of the ocean, and God reaches down and gets you. And that just has so little, as in nothing, to do with us. We don't like that. We want to have something that we have contributed, right? Because that's a virtue. That's good. You have to do your part, you know. And we take well, take that into our salvation, and that screws up how we glorify God. And there's a weird self esteem aspect to that too, where it is kind of like, well, God was counting on me. I wasn't supposed to do that. Or <laughs> like it, he was hoping. It's even worse yes, than that, you're right? Because it's up to he's wringing his hands. Oh goodness, I hope they choose me. Oh, I I tried. I put this. I put this song on Caleb for them and they didn't listen. <laughs> and oh, I put this pastor in the way, but they keep, oh, I just can't. Oh, goodness. I hope they choose and me, you know, you know, and it's like this God up in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that we choose rightly. You know, that's such an unbiblical view of how we come to Christ. You yeah. know, it's like, I found Jesus. You know, it's like, no, you didn't. Like, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> no one looks for Jesus. No one sees him. Right. He found you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's so crazy, but it's crazy how much of our, just like our, our Christian talk and like church culture talk is built around that without even meaning to just like that idea. Like, well, uh, have they found, when did they find the Lord or how did you come to the Lord? Or like, why well, didn't <laughs> he pulled me in? No, he's knocking. He's knocking on the oh, door. Open your heart. Maybe man. the most, maybe the most out of context passage of all time <laughs> is that stand at the door and knock. Like he's there. If you just yeah. hear it. The, the, yeah, the context of that is Christians on yes. the other side of that door. <laughs> it's basically, if anyone in this church is faithful, <laughs> open the door. That's where we're at. Not, not I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah, please let not me your in. Oh, please, please, oh, please let me in. I hope you do. You have all the power. I've, did it. I've done everything I can. I died on the cross for you. 
I hope I've done everything I can. Now it's up to you. It's up to you. Have all the you have the final say. You have the final power to 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 make my salvation for you effective or not. Think about so insane. This is a weird thought, but it's a little bit of a tangent. But I'm go with me on this. Uh, we think about God in that way because we think about everything in that way, right? Like the, the job I choose, what career path I'm going to take, what woman I'm going to marry, what you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I've thought about this with like the Old Testament. A lot of times, when it was time to get married, you would go send somebody to find a wife for your son, right? That was the Abraham. Abraham sent his, his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. Uh, right. <sighs> That's the story of the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> is, is God finding a bride for his son? Yes. Right. Yeah. And we don't – like that idea to us is so foreign even. The idea of like, you know, like, oh, well, Isaac didn't know his wife before he married her. Like, no. But I'm sure he trusted his father to pick the bride for him. That would be right. Right. Yeah. I know, man. We talk about that with like dating. Our church just was, recently went through a, like a part of that. We went through that with, where he finds a – a bride for um isaac and so it in it this whole dating thing is like brand new this whole like i'm gonna take a girl out on a date pretty <laughs> yes, much came along it, really it, is. it pretty much came along with cars because then it was like if you went with right. a boy and if you were if you were a young lady and you went with a boy downtown on a date in his car you were a whore like that's what it was like if a man <laughs> Like that's what whores did. Like that's what they like. That was that was who did that. That was who went out on the town, what with a guy unaccompanied, un unchaperoned, was the whores. Like you pay, he pays for dinner, he pays for a show, and I get something in return. And it's a good time in the backseat of my car because this new thing is invented called the car. I can take right. you away from your family. And right. so it's like, man, that's so weird. Because up to then, uh, up to that point, even like through the 1800s and stuff, it was you, the family knows this young man. You have a gentleman caller who like <laughs> comes to your door with like, you know, something to offer your mm. daughter, you know, and right. you approve of me. And I there's a vetting process and the whole thing. And the family like approves of you. And then you can, you know, date my daughter and stuff but we just like it's so twisted we turned all our daughters into whores and just like go ahead and do find your own thing and just mm. it, <laughs> have Man. i said anything more offensive on this podcast <laughs> i'm gonna isolate that sound clip and that's gonna be <laughs> no girls went on whores <laughs> but i mean so that's because you and just, our it all up that's normal we don't even think about it. Yes. We don't even think about it. It's just, I'm going to let my daughter get in the car with this dummy and go <laughs> away until midnight. I don't know. What are we I, I don't know why any woman that I've ever dated, including my wife, ever went anywhere with me. me because I, <laughs> I was a good for nothing dummy. Right? I don't know why they would agree right? to get in my car ever. Yes. <laughs> so, but we don't even think about it. It's just become so part of our culture. Especially in America, just this thing of like, it's what you do. You're a gentleman if you do that, right? You, you know what I mean. You take a girl out, you pay for dinner. You, right, it's a right. good guy, you know. And it is. And it's like that's not what we've. It's just become so like in twisted in our head of like we. It's just oh man, it's so weird. It's. It, I uh <laughs> I watch this YouTube channel called Defunct Land, and uh, they talk about like they they talk about failed amusement attractions. So like Disney planned this ride and it didn't take off, or they had this park and it just fell apart. But they'll talk about other stuff that did take off. And one of the things they were talking about was Coney Island and like the history of Coney Island. Mm 
mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the history of amusement parks. And it was so funny to hear how he described it because he was saying that a lot of amusement park, the, the attraction to amusement parks was that men and women could be in public together or in some cases even be touching in public and it wasn't seen as taboo because you were on the ride and how that pushed amusement parks into what they are now, like that desire to be physical in public or together in public. It's the industrial revolution. <laughs> Create a bunch of dating teenagers. <laughs> well, yeah, teenager is a new category too, oh, relatively. Dude. Yeah, and yeah. With that, like dating came this like prolonged adolescence and this weird yes. thing of like teenager that was kind of invented in the forties of like you know like so new. You either a child or you're a man, right? You know, like up to like our grandfathers. <laughs> You yeah, know, basically, I mean, there was no like my teenage years, and I'm gonna, you know, hang out. And now 30 is the new 20. Is I think, like, I think my grandparents were teenagers when they got married. I know my grandmother was 15. Yeah, everybody's grandparents were teenagers, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, really? I mean, who's parents, even, like, who's, who's great? Who's, who's grandparents or great grandparents like waited till they were in their 30s and yeah. then got married? And then both were working and had money and yeah, waited for man. the right time. And then baby proofed their house and had a baby. And, <laughs> oh my well, I can't go this far with you. I'm I'm in favor of baby proofing. <laughs> my child's a maniac, but <laughs> you don't you don't you don't uh, ha- uh, baby proof the house. You house proof the baby. <laughs> <laughs> this uh this past week, not I mean, two weeks ago, uh, we had a family friend here who's not used to kids, right? And uh, we had to run out We did for like 10 minutes. We were going to be right back. And we are like, hey, just watch the kid. It'll be fine. The only thing we told him was don't let him run too much because he loses balance. He falls over. He's going to pop himself. Just keep an eye on him. So they start playing. And, of course, he falls over like immediately. So he was like, well, I don't want to stop playing with him, but I don't want him to hurt his head. So his solution was to put his bike helmet on him <laughs> so that if he does fall, it's okay. He's got a helmet on. He'll be fine. <laughs> Man, we don't let our kids out of our sight. It's <laughs> not yet. Anyway, there's so many things in this freaking world, man, that can like screw a kid up. Like these are the jello years where everything just like gets baked in. Right. And they experience things and it just become, it, it's like everything gets imprinted and it's like, you can have ramifications down the road. Mm. Like, man, that's so like, there's so many, I don't know. But then it's like, you don't want to live in a bubble either. Right. But it's like, and you know, you know, as we, we, we talked about a group chat about like, oh, the difference between a bottle, a bubble, and body armor, right? Mm, right. Like, I want to, I want to train my kid up into to know all the different worldviews that are out there and how to contend with them from a biblical Christian worldview, right? Right. I don't want him to be shocked by anything <laughs> of like, what trans people? What's that? Huh? I have no context for that. I have no idea. Dude, I remember uh, when I was in college at DBU, there there was a. Uh, a specific week every year where the local gay lesbian alliance would come to campus and hand out literature and just like talk to people. And I remember the, the like week leading up to it in the chapel service or classes, they would have to like prep you like, all right, guys, this is going down. It's going to be dramatic. All right. Just don't freak out. Like it was a, it was a huge thing. Like it was almost like an invading army was coming because there were so many kids there who were pastors, kids, or, you know, their first time out of Home the house. Just, kids. Yeah. Did not know there was girls still wearing their letterman jackets and denim skirts. Oh, God just did not know how to deal with the idea of like a gay person in their vicinity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't 
expose them in a proper context of these things, the pagan world will expose them in an improper context of those things. They have no problem indoctrinating your right. kid and telling them how to think and what to accept and what to tolerate and what's normal and what's good and what's whatever. So you as parents, it's our job as parents to teach our kids those things from the beginning. Right. And then so that when they face those other things, they'll know like, oh, okay, I know what this is. And right. I've seen this before. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> but that's it's why, even, you know. It's we, even the identifiers, like that idea of like, oh, critical race theory is just cultural Marxism. Like I, I understand this idea. I know where I've seen that before. This isn't new. This right. isn't throwing me off. The problem is so many parents are, are ignorant of these things as well. Right. They just don't even know. They haven't done the reading. They don't. They haven't investigated these things. They're like, ah. Forget it. I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get involved. If just and that's what most people. It's easier just to abstain and, and try and keep your kid in this little Christian ghetto for as long as possible. Mm. You right. know, rather, because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't know anything about it either. So, um, and I'm okay. And so, I don't want to. I can't. I'm like literally incapable of teaching them anything about it because I don't know anything about it. Mm. Right. So it's our job as parents to educate ourselves, do the reading. I mean, that's why I read this book. That's why I read this book. You think I wanted to read this book? You know I mean? Well, I, you you double have to because you have two white kids with their name white. <laughs> like they they've got no hope going forward. <laughs> yeah, they got to be ready because they're yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. That's why I read these books. That's why I, I try and keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on culturally with everything because I want to be able to educate my kids and prepare them and put on that body armor of like, Hey, this is what the world is saying. And this is what God says in his word. And so, and it's not, we can't, it doesn't work that way. And I don't want them to be, have like a culture shock when they step out the front door someday, you know? And I don't know. It's just this really, really weird. Like they have to, they got to know about everything in right. the proper context because other people will have no qualms about teaching them mm. about these things. That, so. There's so many things that I think back about that. Like, Oh, I learned that from movies, not from my parents, or I learned oh, yeah. that from music, not from my parents. And I was like, eh, it could have been better explained for my parents. Yeah. Like the worst thing a parent can do is be like, well, I want them to form their own ideas. Oh God. Well, they won't. They'll form somebody else's ideas. Right. Yes. Right. They won't form their own ideas. They, someone will teach them. Someone will indoctrinate them. Someone will teach them their ideas and their worldviews. So why wouldn't you want it to be yours as their parent? Don't you think that you should, it should be you that introduces them to I mean, your worldview? Because <laughs> someone else introduces their worldview. Partially, I think it's just because people don't want to be parents, really. I mean, if we're honest about it, that's really <laughs> what it is. Like They're just like, well, this thing is around me. I don't really want it. But well, it's how they were raised. It's like, well, yeah. no one told, my parents didn't tell me. And I just kind of figured it out. It's like, well, by the grace of God, you became a Christian. And, you know, you, <laughs> but, you know, and, and by the grace of God, your own kids will also, but we can, we are called to disciple and lead our kids to do those things. And if we don't, we're sinning. <laughs> we can't let them just like, well, I want them to form their own ideas because they won't. I think And that's, I mean, I think the culture is fighting it because culture does that too. Worldly, secular people do that too. Like, oh, well, you know, you figure it out. You raise and figure it out. And I think that's where a lot of like to toxic masculinity comes from is that like hands off fatherhood. Yeah. And not teaching you how to deal with things and not making you a well-rounded person. Because that's like the stereotype of 
toxic masculinity, right? Like you don't know how to deal with your feelings and you can't be sensitive or emotional. You're just rage and anger all the time. And like, what, why, what's wrong with you? Who raised you? And why can you not express yourself and deal with your feelings? Yeah. Well, we've given up any sort of idea of true masculinity. There's no truth. Yes. There's just your right. truth and you right. know, whatever else. So everybody's creating their own truth, but they're actually not. And that's the whole weird thing about like Marxism and, and stuff of like, it's the cult. People are born good. It's the cult. It's the society that corrupts them. You know that I've never understood that idea of like, people are inherently good, but then they get out there in the world and they're corrupted by other people who supposedly were born good. If all people are born are born inherently good, who was the first bad person? and make some sort of corrupt society who is the first greedy person who is the first person looking out for their only for their self-interest who is you know what i mean if everybody's born first good inherently and then it's only society that corrupts them well society is made up of people who apparently supposedly like you say were born good right well okay well then how did they end up bad oh uh, they're a product of their environment well their environment's a bunch of other people who were apparently born good you know what i mean but the truth is people aren't born good <laughs> Right. Well, it's because the reason there's no foundation is because there's no foundation. Like these philosophies that happen now don't have roots. They don't have something that they've built on. They just have an idea and they run with it. Yeah. It's so there's just no reason. It's usually just a rebellious idea. Yeah. But it's really interesting. Like we have like we, rebellion is a virtue. Um, and it's this really good line. Like talking about that, I had it talking about this about submission and like mm. giving up on ourselves. Uh, so our, uh, girl who runs our music at church new girl she has like she recorded some songs and she has a really good okay. song called flood and there's a line where she says uh i give myself to retribution i give up on revolution and i've never felt mm. so free she, it's called the flood so like, now i'm standing deep inside the ocean i'm up against the sea i give myself to retribution i give up on revolution and i've never felt so free mm. and that's like that was a i think that's a really good line of like when you stop rebelling, when you stop resisting, when you stop trying to just be your own God and, mm -hmm. and give up and give in to submission to God, that is when everything becomes clear. That's when you're enlightened. That's when you're free, you know, and it's just when you're, you're not just because you can't be your own God. We're trying to be your own God, but it's hard to be a God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of heart, a lot of responsibility. So stop because God is already God and right. you're not. So just accept that and be free. <laughs> but it's like the ob exact opposite of what the world tells you. Right. Hmm. Man, that's what uh, we talked about this. I don't remember when, but when Wilson, the difference between a revolutionary and a reformer. Mm. And the yeah. revolutionaries are reactionary. They're violent. They're quick. They don't care how they get results. They just want results. Whereas reformers, right, exactly. Yeah. And reformers are not that way. Reformers are patient and they're guided by principle and morality for a higher, greater thing. Yeah. You redeem and reform. You don't rebel in revolution. Right. Yeah. So don't be revolutionary. And it's kind of lame at this point anyways. <laughs> Nobody who thinks they're a revolutionary really oh. is. I know That's everybody's awesome. a everybody's a rebel with their American apparel clothes and iPhones and their corporate everything and their uh, it's uh, the chick from Black Lives Matter bought a bunch of million dollar houses <laughs> for her own family like she's telling you not to do I mean this is all I mean how much hypocrisy do you have to see there was a crap? 
Tim Pool was talking about uh, one of the social a socialist magazine firm fired their staff for trying to unionize. <laughs> that was the ultimate. That was like, well, there's no truth left. <laughs> no one is real. Everything is a lie. <laughs> I mean, how much of it do you have to see? You know, I mean, how many, you know, Tom, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine went to Harvard as a millionaire. Like, what? Oh. You know what I mean? Like, wow. <laughs> Bernie Sanders has three houses nicer than yours. Like, what? How much do you yeah. have to see? How much do you have to see that, that you, this isn't true? You're a useful idiot for them. You know what I mean? Like right, just being well, it's, used. it's because they be we believe we can be them. That's the thing. Like, oh, they got. It. I can do that. These ideas lead to that, but and they don't. But merchandising but those ideas leads to that. That's ambitious capitalism and stuff. It's it's not. Yes, it's, yes, it is. But that's what they're against. <laughs> <laughs> because they want the social currency of being a socialist while also having the benefits of being a capitalist. Right. That's why Tom Malero can say what he says, but also be in Guitar Hero. <laughs> yeah, make a million dollars. Yeah. And and he's not a hypocrite, and he's consistent. And he's like, yeah, oh, totally okay. consistent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what's funny. Like, he was in a huge band. Did they not keep any of the money they got from ticket sales or record deals or anything? Well, that's what, like, when, when someone called Bernie Sanders out about that, about, like, you're this, like, man of the people, socialist, whatever. you got three lake houses and whatever. He's like, well, I've written a bunch of books, and I've made money. He's like, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the point. You're a, a billionaire. <laughs> Welcome to the free market capitalism. Yeah. You deserve those things. You're right. You did work, and you may have sold something, and you deserve the money. Yes. And now you're speaking against that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's so crazy. Uh, anyway. Well, in conclusion. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of all over the place with this one. We really were. I mean, it's we're been gonna, a long we're, time. We're, yeah, we're, we're rusty, man. We got to get back into <laughs> staying we'll on topic. Focus and... back, but uh, next week I'm going to be gone. So, Lord willing, I'll be uh, in Austin next Thursday. There you go. I already bought tickets, so I got to be there. I'll take it to what? Amberlin. Amberlin's in town in uh, Austin on Thursday. Oh my God, dude. What are you in middle school? <laughs> in my heart, it's still 2005, man. Oh my God, Amberlin. I don't know what to tell you. Who am I? Who else am I going to go see at this point? I don't know. Nobody, man. Just go to work. <laughs> well, I do go to work so that I can buy concert tickets so I can go see Amberlin. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even, I can't, I don't even know the last concert I went to. I can't remember. I don't even think. Well, because everybody you like would be too expensive or is dead. Yeah, that's true. You can't afford to see the Black Keys, and you can't go see Muddy Waters, so what are you going to do? <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> that's, that's, that's growing up. I can stay home and, and listen to records. That's what I can do. Oh, man. That's a good experience. <laughs> yeah. We were uh, – I, I feel like it's going to – maybe we'll do that because I really want to talk about the gospel roots of blues music because I was uh, – we were talking about that this week and the kind of experience of that because that's such a – I remember when I read Blue Like Jazz <laughs> when I was trying to Gosh. find somebody. Yeah, I know. I was I was actually 15 at the time. But <laughs> but he, he kind of throws that line away as like the reason that he named the book that is, is something to do with that, but he doesn't really get into that. But I'd really like to dig into like the, the gospel origins of blues and jazz and inevitably rock and roll from that. Black people, man. Let's isolate that sound clip. Too. I want to have those together. I mean, you know, 
we got blues music from centuries of slavery. Right. <laughs> like, and wow. then Led Zeppelin took it and yeah, and then <laughs> Elvis took black people's music and got rich and you know, that's that's white supremacy. Yeah, that's therefore white that's white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> and so how do we be an anti racist? That's right. You have to be anti Elvis. But that, I mean, rock and roll from black people. Did he though? Yes, most certainly I mean, he did. Okay, but okay, let's, he didn't steal it. He just did it, and they people right, listened exactly. because he was white. That's what I'm saying. But he he did it, and people listened. But like, who black is playing rock and roll anyway at this point? Like, who wants to? Lenny Kravitz. That's it. They moved on. You know, they moved on to hip hop and yeah, rap. You know, they're just constantly innovating. I mean, yes, with right. music, that's. I mean, it's and you know what? That should be a thing that everybody celebrates and uh, participates in because that's how you build cultures, not something yes. that we separate, isolate, and pull apart. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just so weird, man. Like, it's just because, <laughs> like, all the white supremacists and like the actual white skinhead people will be like, "Oh, they didn't create rock and roll music. They didn't create jazz. They didn't, you know, whatever." And it's like, yes, they did. Are you out of your mind? Like yes, I, I, of course they did. Yeah, they absolutely did. There's no they question about that. 100. That is the that is an amazing <laughs> contribution to humanity, and it's like there you go, like that's it. But yeah, man, there's so there's so much heroin use in jazz and rock and roll and stuff, and like it's it's funny to like read, read these like <laughs> it's funny to read these like you know people against jazz, these like classical composer people against jazz when it was like coming out in the 50s and stuff, and uh, or like even earlier than that the big big band music because it was like big band music of like yeah. the 30s and stuff and then like that ragtime kind of stuff and then it was like hey how about one of those trumpet guys gets going you know and like louis armstrong and stuff and like man it's like ken burns jazz yeah i can't recommend that enough that's really oh, cool because yeah. that shows like the whole origin of like that that orchestra kind of big band ballroom music and stuff and how it kind of branched off into jazz and people yeah. start improvising and getting with it and everything and it's really cool. I got to watch more of his because the only Ken Burns uh, thing I've seen is the one he did about Jack Johnson, the boxer. Oh, really? And that, that was one cool. was – no, that one's really good too. Uh, They're all good, man. Civil yeah, War. Yeah, I know, but I've never, I've like, never watched baseball. I've never watched Civil War. I haven't watched – You go to either. public school? <laughs> no, I didn't. That's and have a tax <laughs> test and like have to like no, watch that. I, I did not have to do standardized testing. I went to a private school. Oh, that's right. You didn't. You didn't. You, they didn't have Ken Burns? They didn't wheel in the TV no, for Ken Burns? No, for talks? sure, no. Oh, man. That was TBS, that was communist television. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes sense. Why it's in public school, public funding, public broadcasting, right? Exactly. Public broadcasting, man. That's <laughs> it. That's what we're doing. They have one with about Hemingway that I've Ooh. seen like first couple episodes about. It's like a mini series. Okay, Ken Burns. Hemingway. Yeah. I so, gotta see. I got a bunch of stuff I gotta watch. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. Those those little those little uh, photographs of the like photos moving. <laughs> <Yeah>, moves around. <laughs> I love that in uh, the zoom in in iMovie they just call it the Ken Burns effect. Like it's it's all <laughs> he invented that. It's basically like, well, we got a bunch of these old boring black and white photos. Just make a move. <laughs> it's a just film. It's a motion have picture. Them, have them drift closer, you know, with some jazz music behind it, and that'll be basically cinema. That's cinema right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ken oh Burns, man. man. Heck yeah. So with that, uh, we'll see you guys not next week, but the week after. Uh, we don't know the topic yet, but we'll get there. So 
in the meantime, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, wherever you are. Uh, this has been the time. This has been the place. We'll see you guys later. See you.